Hey, welcome to episode number 97 of More Than Bread. I guess I could change it up by saying good morning, but I know that not all of you listen to me in the morning. I could use the semi-famous greeting of Truman Burbank. Good morning, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. (laughs) Or I could just say, whenever you are, wherever you are, welcome. You know, I really appreciate being given a few moments of your time to to dive in together into the Word of God, because you've heard me say it more than once. We need more than bread to thrive. We need more than stuff to succeed. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. But before we dive into the last half of Mark chapter 12, which is where we're at in this episode, let me just say three things. First of all, to those of you who have sent me a a note about this podcast, uh, thank you. It's really a an encouragement to hear a bit about what God is doing in your life. And and secondly, if you enjoy this podcast and and you haven't listened to the earlier episodes going through the New Testament and the Gospel of John, um, this pr- podcast on, on purpose is not time bound. I don't refer to a lot of current events. It won't feel like oh, I'm reading, listening to something old. So feel free to go back and listen to the rest. And finally, if you enjoy this. Uh, Pass it on. I, I don't make money on this, and I don't really market it other than at Calvary. It's mostly word of mouth, but if it can help others, I would love for that to happen. So anyway, I'm Dan, your host, a pastor, and your Bible reader. So let's read. We're diving into Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 44, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate Jesus and his critics, they always had these debates, right? They're trying to trap him, catch him. And and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which would you say is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And, and my little commentary, this comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It's often known as the Shema. This is something that even today the Jewish people repeat um, sometimes daily. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And Jesus continues in verse 31. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, Well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding, all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You know what? You're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him, Jesus, any more questions. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? And now, in my words again, just remember this word Messiah, this was not Jesus' second name, Jesus the Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. This is the one that all of Israel was waiting for. So so Jesus is saying, you guys realize that that, that uh, you, you claim that Messiah, the anointed one, is the son of David. Verse 36, for David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself, Jesus says, called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him with great delight. 
Now, they, they listened, my words, listened to him with great delight because he was kind of tripping up the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, and the people kind of like that. Verse 38, Jesus also taught, beware of these teachers of religious law. Watch out, for they like to parade in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. And yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, Jesus said, they will be more severely punished. Then Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts and then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, she's given everything she had to live on. So so let me ask you, what is your mission in life? What is your purpose, your calling? What is your why? <laughs> we talk a lot about what we do, but but why do we do it? That's such an important question. And as we've been making our way through Mark, I think at least in part, Mark wrote his gospel in hopes that we might understand our why, our mission in life. And and in some ways, nowhere is that any more clear than in the last half of Mark chapter 12. Our why, at least a part of our why, is wrapped up in love. Love God and love people. Mark 12, 28, this teacher of religious law is standing there listening to the debates between Jesus and his critics, and, and, and he's thinking, you know what, Jesus is doing a pretty good job of answering these guys' questions. And so he, he went up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, of all the commandments, what is the most important? What is the most important? The most important one, Jesus said, is, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. Love God, love people. Love God, love your neighbor. If this isn't our why, this doesn't motivate everything we do, we're, we're, we're kind of missing it. Because in another place, Jesus said, you know what? All the law and all the prophets, everything hinges on these two things. Everything boils down to these two things. If you get these two things, you're doing well. Love God and love people. And, and, and let me stop and, and just say this is not an isolated answer, issue, or principle. The might, Bible makes it incredibly clear that nothing matters more. Nothing matters more than relationships. Nothing. First with God and secondly with people. In fact, the very phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, is so stuck in the heart of God that he repeats it in the Bible, not once, not twice, not four or five times, but nine different times. Love God and love your neighbor. Life's greatest mark, our our greatest impact is made through relationships. In fact, the Bible really clearly says that if I'm a success in every other area of life except relationships, I'm a failure. So I think basically Jesus is saying, make this the center of your heart. Make this the why of your life. Love God and love your neighbor. At Calvary, we call loving our neighbor our front yard mission. (laughs) The place where we connect with our neighbors. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. You understand, that's how God created us. God created us for community. God created us to find meaning in our relationships. God made our hearts in such a way that when we give ourselves away, our hearts expand. We're, we're not called to love our neighbors just because they need something. We're called to love our neighbors because we 
need something. When we love others, our hearts expand. When we give our joy away, we get more joy. When we let go of our lives, we gain life. You know what happens when we don't make loving others our why? Mark 12, 35 tells us Jesus is teaching at the at the temple. And, and as he teaches, there's religious leaders. He's in the courtyards and, and they're all walking around. Pharisees, priests, rabbis, teachers of the law, common sights around the courts of the temple. And, and in verse 38, he turns to the crowd and it says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out, <laughs> be aware. Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the banquets. And and at the same time, they devour widows' houses. And for a show, they make lengthy prayers. Well, what is Jesus saying? Not just watch out for religious people. He's saying watch out for people who have such a need to be someone that they have no time to care about someone else. Watch out for people who think the mark they leave is measured by the honors, accolades, and awards they receive rather than the people they love and serve. Watch out for people who dress for the show <laughs> but rarely show you their love. So I don't know. I just think we need to ask ourselves, am I someone Jesus would watch out for? <laughs> or is loving God and loving my neighbors at the very heart of who I am and what I do? Is my life mission shaped by Jesus' challenge to love God with all my heart and love my neighbor like I love myself? Is that my why? And if that's my why, is that enough? I mean, will my life make a difference? Will it matter? Well, it will to Jesus. And I think that's kind of the point of the last scene that Mark describes. It's a story about loving God and loving people. It's a story where love actually touches the heart of Jesus. And it starts in verse 41. Jesus is sitting across. Just imagine this. He's sitting across from where the temple offerings are given. He's watching the crowd give their money. And there's a lot of rich people who are thrown out in large amounts. And you can tell it's large amounts because it was coins. And when they put in their gifts, so many large coins made a loud noise. They, they made sure it was loud. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins. Nobody could hear it. Worth a fraction of a penny. Man, does it leave a mark and impression on Jesus? Because sometimes it's not how much you give, it's how much you have left, right? It's a faith in the passion of sacrifice. A few years ago, I listened to a sermon that connected this story to Jesus and the cross in a way that had really never hit home to me. And See, this story is from the last week in Jesus' life. He's teaching in the temple courtyards, and it's Passover, which means Jerusalem is three times its normal site. Everybody goes to the temple in Jerusalem on Passover because there's only one temple. There's not little temples spread all over. There's teaching centers called synagogues, but there's one temple. And, and so a lot of people come to Jerusalem. And it's like Penn State University Nittany Lion football game day in State College. And two things about people who come to Jerusalem during Passover— they were rich enough to travel, and they're pretty religious. So Jesus is at the temple. He's taking a, a little bit of a break, and he's watching people, rich people, bring their offerings, big offerings to the temple. They stand in line. They drop their offerings in this metallic box or, or, or basket, and, and big offerings sound big. That was part of the whole deal. And in the midst of these rich people with big offerings, there's a widow with two coins. And together, these two coins, and they're worth a fraction of a penny so small that the temple treasurers were probably annoyed when they were given. 
She lives in town because she has no money to travel. In Jesus' day, widows were the very bottom of the significance barrel. And this woman is not just a widow. She's a poor widow. I mean, every widow was poor, but she's a step below regular widow. Her total net worth was less than a penny. They're called leptas. The smallest coin in Jesus' day was a lepta. And and, and, and Jesus says these two leptas was all she had to live on. This is an all-in gift, the kind of gift where as soon as it leaves your hands, a prayer leaves your lip. God, if you don't show up in this, my kids aren't going to eat. More often, we give out of our abundance, right? Like, I've got this stuff, and I don't need all this stuff, and I can give some of it, and I like to give. So here you go, God. But man, this was not a casual gift for this woman. She's been thinking about this for days. It's all she has. She'd been going back and forth for a while, and somewhere along the way, she sensed that God wanted her to do this. And and I don't know, maybe then she asked a friend for advice. That's what I would have done. And the friend thinks she's crazy. And while she's standing in line, listening to these big offerings of gold and silver coins hitting the bottom of the metal chest, the metal bucket, she's thinking, God, you don't even need this. I mean, what could this little bit do for you? It won't even make a sound when I drop it in. Nobody will notice if I give all I have or keep all I have because all I have is so little, but it's all that I have. John Ortberg, in that sermon I was talking about, he he ponders that maybe she then thought, but I love him. I love God. He's given me everything. He's He's always provided for me. When I was a little girl, then then when my husband died, every day, when nobody else had time to listen, he's been there for me. And all this goes on in her mind, and she stands there for this moment, and, <laughs> and then she lets it go. There's this tiny, inaudible little clink, and then she walks away. And nobody could know that in her heart she was thinking, I did it. I gave it all, God. I love you so much. I trust you. And her faith moves the heart of God. It moves the heart of Jesus. You you can't read the Bible without that theme saturating your heart. Faith moves the heart of God. I'm not talking about intellectual assent to a series of doctrines. I'm, I'm talking about trust in the person of God that leads to your action, a leaning in in response. Yes, God, I trust you, so I will do fill in the blank. I don't know how, but somehow over the years, trust has developed in this woman's heart. In spite of her poverty, in spite of her tragedies, her loneliness, she chose to trust. Trust in God, she gave all she had. She drops her insignificant coins in the box and she walks away unnoticed. Her act of faith fell like a feather in the brass offering box. No noise, no fanfare, unnoticed. Except in the eyes of one man, a young rabbi named Jesus, also known today as Savior Christ, Son of God. He's on his way to Jerusalem to give all that he has, to deposit his gift on a cross. And you got to wonder, what was Jesus thinking? Maybe he's thinking about his mom, who who would also become a widow. Maybe he's thinking about a a cross and a a bad Black Friday. Maybe he's thinking about trust and and surrender. If she can trust God like that, so can I. I can give everything that I have. And he calls his disciples over and he points to this woman. He says, "I, I tell you the truth, she's put in more than all the others. She touched his heart with her gift. Extravagant generosity always leaves a mark. And you realize extravagance is not an amount anyone can be 
extravagantly generous. Anyone can make a gift that will touch his heart. Extravagance is not measured by what we give. It's measured by how much we have left. What would that look like for you? What would that look like for you? I just think of this widow who touched the heart of Jesus, and I can't help but wonder if she had any idea what her gift meant. <laughs> you know, if, if there was a, a museum in heaven, if there are collections of priceless antiques in heaven, the highlighted pieces, the collections that will be viewed with the greatest honor, I'm convinced, will not be those containing the artifacts of times when the Christian faith brushed up against fame and success. It won't be the paper on which Constantine wrote his decree to make Christianity the state religion. It won't be the headlines of this or that athlete or celebrity who became a Christ follower. I think it'll be a collection of ordinary stuff representing some of the most amazing moments that most of the world never even knew took place. A cup of cold water given to a refugee, a meal cooked for a sick neighbor, a handwritten note given to a struggling friend, a, a basket of clothes that was what was daily washed for teenagers who never said thank you. The first check a family wrote to sponsor an orphan in Myanmar. The lawnmower used to mow a neighbor's lawn that summer that he found out he had cancer. A Samaritan's donkey, a towel still damp from drying feet, and a widow's mite. John Ortberg writes, She could not know that her sacrifice would move the heart of the one who would lay down his heart on the cross to save you and me from our sin. She could not know that centuries would pass. Empires, nations, fortunes, corporations would rise and fall and be forgotten, and the sound of her two little pennies thrown at the feet of God would still echo after 2,000 years. She could not know that out of all the gifts ever given to God in the history of the human race, that God may have needed her gift of those two pennies more than he ever needed any other gift all she knew was that she wanted to love the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind. All she knew was that it wasn't just about what she had. It wasn't all about her. The life is found in loving God and loving others. All she knew was that this is what love does. Love trusts and love gives. So how will you love God and love your neighbors this week? Today. Let me close by just reading again, just the, that part of the scripture that is the story of the generous widow. I'm reading from the message paraphrase, starting in verse 41. Sitting across from the offering box, he, Jesus, was observing how the crowd tossed money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions, but one poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called over his disciples and said, the truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Father God, I pray that you would develop in me and in every person listening such a heart of sacrificial generosity that there would be at least once or twice in our lives where we give the kind of gift that, that, that causes us to pause and wrestle and, and suck our breath in deeply and say, God, if you don't show up in this, I'm in trouble. God, would you develop in us a love that trusts and a love that gives? Would you help us to love you with all our hearts, souls, mind, and strength? And would you help us to love our neighbors 
like we love ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.